kind of told them what I was seeing and why they were having problems. And the ownership seemed very excited that I was so open with them. and wasn't trying to, uh, I guess, you know, pull the wool over their eyes, as some would say. Um, and the next day, basically, the ownership said, you know, we're having a lot of problems and, and we would like you to come and open an injection molding shop for us. So we can do everything in-house and control everything we produce. We're tired of all the waste. We're tired of bad products being shipped to us. And it's affecting our customers. It's affecting our business. Um, so I graciously, you know, said, yeah, sure. Uh, it sounds like a great opportunity to do that. I've been running plants all my life. So why not? One. Welcome to the Green Hour, a community of innovators, activists, and government leaders in the world of sustainability. Each week, you will hear from a leader in sustainability to help unlock your mind to a greener future. I'm Preston Pogue, and on the show today, how one man found a career in the plastics industry at a young age, and over time, started an injection molding business that pushes out 6 million pounds of product per year. The success has come through incredible efficiencies, processes, and strong leadership. But above all else, Rodney Davenport has prioritized sustainability in his business through reutilization, waste reduction, and creating a culture that wants to make a positive environmental impact. How many times have you walked down an aisle at the grocery store and wondered how all of these products got there? Most of us know the logistics behind delivering and storing the products, but how about the production of the products themselves? We live our lives on autopilot at times, so it can be hard to notice the little things around us. As you take a closer look, you will discover a whole new world that seemed hidden before. Plastic is all around us, and it isn't going away. Some people hate plastic, some people love plastic, and others couldn't care less. The thing that you will notice as you take a closer look is almost all of the products we interact with on a daily basis are plastic. The water bottle you drink, the shampoo bottle you use, even parts in your car are all filled with plastic. So if it is all around us and it isn't going away, it's our job to find the best use for it. One that reduces environmental harm and helps us close the loop. Rodney Davenport has made a career in plastics. The plastics we see on the shelf at the grocery store weren't born out of nothing. They were manufactured using a form of molding. Injection molding is where Rodney found his expertise, and the process itself is truly remarkable. Imagine holding grains of sand in your hands and think specifically of the size of the grain. Now, what if I told you that those same grains could be used to create plastic products? Now, you probably wouldn't believe me because how could something as tiny as sand produce plastic. Injection molding doesn't use sand, but uses resin, which is a granular substance similar in size to sand. This resin is pumped into machines and in minutes shoots out a plastic product. Rodney runs a company called CH3 Solutions, which uses injection molding to create recreational surfaces. His company uses the same process I mentioned, pumping resin into machines to create plastic products. The products he produces are unique though and not something you see every day. CH3 Solutions produces plastic tiles that snap together like puzzle pieces. 
to create surfaces for basketball, pickleball, hockey, volleyball, and garages and playing hangers, and even underlayment for football and soccer fields. Early on, Rodney prioritized sustainability at CH3, utilizing resources that use less waste, closing the loop by finding new ways to use rejected products, and creating a culture that strives to be better. Rodney found his start in the plastics industry at a young age and never looked back. So uh, basically I got into the plastics industry, uh, dating myself here a little bit, back in 1993, uh, just out of school, uh, joined a plastic company down in uh, Ocala, Florida, where um, we molded a lot of different products for the medical industry and consumer products and a little bit of everything. So got most of my education, honestly, um, from that company, um, just because we use such a broad range of plastics. Um, and actually, uh, I guess we were trying to be green before green was a thing. Right. Um, so been in it about 30 years now, um, seen quite the evolution of polymers across the way from to where they've developed um, more cost-effective polymers, but also more on the recycling side more bioplastics, um, more sustainable things using corn, plant-based type uh, items to really help. Um, I think our biggest thing that I've seen over the course of the years um, and understanding, because I started pretty much from running the machine and then went all the way through all the different levels of handling materials, um, putting the molds in the injection machines, running plants, uh, obviously up to a more executive level of uh, starting plants uh, and moving plants and such um, is that we've, we've noticed that uh, in traveling around the world, it seems that the U S is a little bit behind, I would say in recycling uh, compared to say like Europe. Um, but also I think that everybody in the plastics industry wants the name plastic to not be an evil name. And we want to work on, sustainability and recycling of our plastics. So um, part of my growth in this industry has been working with people um, like yourself, Preston, who are very excited about the next generation of recycling and green energy and working with some chemists and stuff on trying to develop uh, materials and testing ter materials to be more sustainable. Um, so for me, starting as a young man at 18, growing up in the industry, I've seen the good side, the bad side, how hard behind the scenes people are working to be able to produce polymers that are recyclable, produce polymers that uh, can biodegrade if possible, um, and try to get away from a lot of the one-use type items I think is important, and that's going to help us uh, with the sustainability that we have. But pretty much that's, that's kind of my whole life is I've been plastics from 18 on and uh, probably till I retire. <laughs> but what people don't understand is really plastic is, is in everything. And we have to everything. find ways that we can recycle and we can close the, close the loop with these things. So that's why I'm so glad that you're on here today. Just so people can understand that plastic is not a bad thing. Plastic is all around us and right. we have to find ways to recycle and better, better ways to use it. So, you know, the next thing I'll say is our connection, just so everyone knows, 
you know, I worked with Rodney, um, under Rodney for about six months. And then I was an intern in one of the, one of the smaller companies under him for the, probably the last year. And Rodney runs um, CH3 Solutions, which is injection molding. Um, mm-hmm. They mold all kinds of, of parts for various companies, mainly recreational um, flooring companies. And it was always really cool, you know, working with Rodney and how efficient his his plant and, and his area and his people were. I mean, you would go around his machinery, you would go around um, the floor in, in these warehouses and it would be spotless, you know, spotless. There'd, there'd be no waste around. You would have people working. Um, not not a lot of people, by the way. You, you'd only have a few people at a time working, but they were so efficient in everything that they did. And you could tell that everything was run very, very well. And through conversations with Rodney while I was working with him, it was clear that you know he knew what was going on in sustainability and was was putting processes and procedures in place so that we could um, do better for for a company like CH3 or any injection molding company. You know you could you could turn your turn your um, your eye on some of this stuff and mm-hmm. you know not even care. But what Rodney and, and CH3 Solutions is doing is they're trying to be better and and provide better solutions for the future um, through sustainability. So. Right. Again, Rodney, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on here. It's it's really cool. So I guess, you know, I've touched on CH3 Solutions a little bit. So could you kind of explain to us what CH3 is and sure. kind of what you do on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. So CH3, it's an interesting story because it was actually um, created simply because um, the recreational group was our parent company, had purchased another company that... Um, their primary business is plastic tiles. So the plastic tiles for basketball courts, tennis courts, anything floor related, garages and such. And all the product was being outsourced. Uh, they were having a big problem with um, waste, a huge problem with waste, bad product, no first quality product. They happened to come across the company I was currently running here in Georgia and brought one of their molds, injection molds to me to produce a tile. We produced a tile for them, and all of a sudden, we produced a tile that was good, and we weren't sending them a bunch of bad product and a bunch of waste. So the ownership and RG came and had a visit with us and uh, brought parts from other companies and asked, you know, why are we getting this, right? So um, I'm very, as you know, Preston, pretty cut and dry and clear and to the point when I'm talking to people and honest. So kind of told them what I was seeing and why they were having problems, and the ownership seemed very excited that I was so open with them. and wasn't trying to, uh, I guess, you know, pull the wool over their eyes, as some would say. Um, and the next day, basically, the ownership said, you know, we're having a lot of problems and, and we would like you to come and open an injection molding shop for us so we can do everything in-house and control everything we produce. We're tired of all the waste. We're tired of bad products being shipped to us. And it's affecting our customers. It's affecting our business. Um so I graciously, you know, said, yeah, sure. Uh, it sounds like a great opportunity to do that. I've been running plants all my life, so why not? Um, so in 2015, we started CH3 Solutions uh, to be a part of the recreational group to do in-house manufacturing. Um, immediately, it was evident that the ownership group was really interested in doing it the right way, which was important. Um, so we were able to be fortunate enough to buy really good equipment really energy efficient equipment, um, which was really important to me. Uh, because when I started it, I've worked for 
what you would call mom and pop shops or, you know, privately small shops. And I've worked for big corporations. And my idea for CH3 was, you know, I've seen a lot of waste in big corporations that kind of, I didn't have control of. So it always irritated me. And then some of the mom and pop shops, sometimes they just didn't have the funds to do things, what I would call the correct way or the right way, um, even though they wanted to. So I was going to meld those two things. I was going to take corporate structure that I really enjoy. I'm going to take the hometown feel of family in a small operation. I'm going to meld them together. And that's what we're going to build CH3 upon. We're going to do everything proper. We're going to do it right. We're going to follow the recommendations of our experts in the field of our machinery, our material suppliers, recyclers, everything that we can do and not have excuses. There's no need to have excuses of, well, I don't have time to do that or I can't do that when if everybody works together, you can achieve these things. And that's kind of how CH3 grew. We actually started off as a custom molder. So we were actually molding for parts, people for, you know, all different customers uh, all around. Um, and then in about three years ago, we had been acquired by an equity group and decided to go vertically integrate. So now we only mold parts for pretty much ourselves. Um, but that mindset is do it right the first time. Don't waste. Don't be gluttonous, I guess you could call it, because so many times people will just waste a lot of things, even as far as a small spill on the floor, it still has environmental impact. So R is zero plastic waste in the dumpsters. Nothing can go to the landfill. We have to find a home for it. If we do create waste, somehow we will recycle that waste or we will get it to a recycling compound, but nothing goes to the landfill. And it's not that hard. It really isn't. It's a discipline that you got to in, in put in the front end of your company and you got to believe in it. And if you believe in it, your people believe in it. Is not something that can't be accomplished. And that goes for not just plastics, but the oil that goes in the machines. If you have hydraulic machines, any kind of air waste from your air compressors, all these kinds of waste all lead up to green energy that people usually only associate with recycling like a polymer. But there's more to it than that. The less energy we can use, the less waste we have. So... All those things that usually get ignored um, is something we put a really tough, uh, tough hand on and said, you know, when we do this, we're going to do it right. And we're not going to have this waste and waste is included in a big, broad thing of electricity, air, um, polymers, cardboard, plastic bags, whatever it is. Um, that's, that's why we focus that way. And that's how CH3 has been built. Uh, and we've been able to grow and we've, We've been uh, in our first year in existence. We were on the um, world-class processor list. And then uh, last year, we just hit um, with our, which I got some placards over here, our 2022 top shops. So I'm pretty proud of that with a very small amount of people. And everybody that comes in is, uh, like you said, uh, pretty impressed with the operation that we have. Yeah, it's very impressive. I'd say if, for anyone listening, if, if you've not seen injection molding and kind of how it's structured and how um, parts were produced. It, it's pretty incredible. I had I had done a, a paper on injection molding and the whole process. And it's so interesting because you're taking a raw material, re resin, and you're turning that into a product. Let's say it's a plastic mm -hmm. tile or, or anything, you know, and it's really cool to see the whole process. And in a couple minutes, I mean, you're just, you're, you're running through the, the whole line and right. fr from grains that can go in your hands to an actual product that you're selling. 
And I mean, like you said, CH3 is, is very unique. Um, I've seen a couple other injection uh, molders and CH3, I mean, I wish I wish you could see how many parts that, that they're producing on a daily basis. And you might have three or four people out mm-hmm. on the floor um, with what? Eight. Is it eight machines? Is that how uh, many? Six, six machines now. Six Currently machines. six machines with our largest being a 1500 ton. They have created really good processes in place. And again, it's mm-hmm. there's no trash. There's no waste around. It's so efficient. Um, you don't need much manpower when you have great processes in mm-hmm. place. And that's exactly what they've done. So, Rodney, for people that that might not know, I mean, we talked about injection molding a little mm-hmm. bit. What are some common products that you can find um, every day that that are injection um, yep. molded? Yeah. So everybody in your household, um, everybody has deodorant. Uh, so actually the deodorant caps, um, the bodies of it, the little screw or chapstick, um, common, um, a lot of plastic cups and dishware, um, shampoo tops, um, the bottles. If you have something that's hollow, like a bottle or something like that, it's blow molded. Um, but injection molding wise, if you look in your closets, uh, the little clips to hold, if you have metal, like closet made organizers, a little plastic clips, uh, the buttons on your shirts. Um, so everything you touch in your life is plastic, pretty much different types of plastic, um, depending on what it's used for. Most people don't realize the engineering that goes into a product and why a certain plastic is used. Um, maybe it has to be heat resistant. Maybe it has to be um, something that, you know, is really thin walled. So it's when it's thrown away, it's less waste. Um, uh, water bottles are a good example. There's a lot of waste in water bottles, which most people have probably noticed over time. You've seen the caps go from here to here where they've cut the caps in half. So now when you take it off, there's a lot less waste. We do that over billions of bottles. That's a lot of waste. Right. So uh, little innovations like that. But almost everything in your house that you pick up, you have some sort of plastic in your car is full of plastic. Um, you know, there's lots of talk of going back to metals and glass. Um, which for some products it probably is, is fine, but obviously it's, uh, until we as good stewards of the earth decide that, uh, the cheapest product ain't the best, you know, and we know that, Hey, it's better for the environment. Yeah. It costs me a dollar more, but it's better for the environment and people can start to swallow that. It's going to go a lot faster. Um, I think that's part of it is right now recycling is very tough because, you know, if you're recycling, we're very limited even if we wanted to run 100% recycled product in our parts, um, because of all the different color combinations, recycling is tough if it's not black. So that's some of it. If you can run out of feedstocks and stuff and you want like a nice bright white part or something like that, it's kind of some of the limitations, which you noticed uh, Sprite just stopped with their green bottles. Right. Because green's a tough one for recycling. Um, so kudos to them. That's a great initiative. There's no, no need to have it. Um, everybody will adapt to it. And, and it's a, that's a pretty big deal. That's a really big deal for them putting their foot down and saying, you know what, we're going to, we're going to be better for the sustainability of the planet. And that's kind of the way we look at it. Anything that we can look at or reuse or redo, um, to cut the waste is the, is the best thing for us. And we're actually working on some stuff right now, um, with some bioplastics people out of Texas, um, which is some interesting things. Just to just to try to you know expand our horizon and see if it's something that will work, right? Yeah, I remember. I, I guess the last couple of weeks I was with um, RG. You had shown me kind of like a prototype of a um, one of the corner mm-hmm. molds pieces, and 
It was all sustainable. Yep. Yep, I have one right here. Yeah. So it's right there, which you can, you know, anybody who's looking, if you see all these little pieces in here, this is actually a polypropylene part with some hemp fiber and stuff uh, ground up and compounded in here to, as a filler. Um, and so this is a company out of Texas, uh, Bioplastics, and they're trying to make something a little more sustainable. So there's less plastic in it, still gives you the strength that you want things. And they're working on how to actually. So here's another one that's white, smaller granules. Oh, yeah. But you can tell they're, they're trying to do something that's going to work so you can use multiple colors, work with people to get it out there and get it used, um, which I think is great because, uh, I mean, there is a lot of plastics waste. And we need to do a better job. Through working with you and, and CH3 and just RG as a whole, I'll go to the to a um, grocery store gas station now. And it's almost like I, I look at products on, on the shelves. <laughs> right. It's almost like I, I see stuff in black and white now instead of um, everything in color. And when I say that is I, I look at things and how they're produced now. So I'll pick mm -hmm. something up and be like, huh, so they produced it this way, this, this, this. Um, instead of like when you're a little kid and you might pick up a can or, or something yeah. at the grocery store and be very excited to see it. Now my whole mindset's changed. And I'm like, how did they create this? What's the process mm -hmm. that, that they use? Um, what kind of molding did they use to, to create this? So, yeah, your mindset just completely changes um, through experience, which is really mm -hmm. cool. So we touched on what products um, you might find that are injection mm -hmm. molded. So tell us a little bit about um, RG and, and a little bit about CH3 and the products that you're producing on a daily basis um, and what companies you're kind of servicing, again, on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah so RG is a, a pretty cool place. You know, I joined them back in 2015, and they've really grown since then. Um, so we're kind of split into a couple of divisions um, where I'm in the tile division, and then we also have a turf division, um, which is all... Uh, artificial turf anybody knows the term astroturf is the best way to explain it football fields um everything you can imagine that has artificial grass we're producers of it on the rg side um we're the main producers of pretty much any kind of plastic tile uh, you can kind of see behind me there's some tile right here on the wall uh, for a logo for one of our basketball courts um so we're, we're primarily all kinds of flooring plastic flooring, um, garage flooring, and also underlayments that go underneath things uh, for like bases, big, big bases to kind of take the place of concrete in some areas. It's a little, uh, little easier, um, you know, for water runoff and things like that. And so we're actually um, always trying to develop new products, uh, kicking around new things in the industry that could work with our type of uh, flooring products. Um, so RG is also, I think they're a pretty aggressive leader in wanting to do things right and wanting to find the next best technology. And I know they're working hard on the turf side because turf has a really tough side of recycling. That's a tough one. So there's a lot of turf, old turf that gets tore up. You know, it's like, what do you do with it? Uh, so I know there's guys on that side of the company looking at what's a way we could reuse things, do different things. Uh, just like us, we actually, when we sell a basketball court to somebody and maybe they've had it five or 10 years and they want to change or something, we're happy to take it back um, just so they don't throw it in a landfill. You know, we want, we'll take it back. We'll grind it up. We'll reuse it or we'll sell it off to a recycler ourselves uh, to make sure that it doesn't go in a landfill. So those are some of the things that RG, CH3, like all our company focuses 
still, you know, what can we do? We know the environment is very precious to us. We know the green initiative is being pushed harder and harder. And I think every business has to really take a solid look and get their people involved in not only recycling at work, but, you know, what can we do to help educate people to recycle at home? Um, you know, there's a lot of waste when you think about, you know, the trash trucks you see going down the road and stuff every day, um, average households putting a lot of waste out there and, you know, how can we separate these things better? How can we make it easier for the consumer? Um, a struggle that a lot of us have is the time it takes to clean out a can or clean out a bottle and you're just like, ah, I'll just throw it away. You know, so same here at work. What do I have to do to clean this up, take care of it, make sure it don't go in a landfill? Same kind of thing. It's just a different mindset. And, and here at RG, I think, and CH3, it's like build that culture of no waste. As long as you build that culture, cultivate that culture, and that culture will grow. And it should overflow to home life as well, starting in a workplace. Right. Yeah, I mean... The thing that I always tell people is education is key. And a lot of people aren't educated mm -hmm. in sustainability and in recycling and in different initiatives so that when, you know, you, you go from place to place, if you don't really know what's going on, you know, in terms of recycling, then you're, you're not going to do it. So I think that's key. I mean, especially with CH3 and what, what you guys are doing and RT as a whole, if you have people internally and you're teaching them about sustainability and recycling, they're just going to go out in the community and with their families, and it's just going to continue to grow and grow. Mm -hmm. That's one of the biggest issues I see in in our generation is um, the lack of education. Mm -hmm. But as you said, RG is a great company. Um, you know, when I was there, we had met with Rematch, the turf recycling company mm -hmm. out of Denmark, um, trying to figure out a way to recycle turf fields because RG is one of the largest landscaping turf companies mm -hmm. in, in the country. And there's a lot of replacement football fields, soccer fields, landscaping projects. And the question was, okay, what can we do with them instead of just throwing them in the landfill? Um, because there's harmful chemicals, you mm -hmm. know, in turf, you know, with the grounded up turf pellets and, and yep. just the, the chemical makeup of the turf. So we actually met with them and it was really cool just to see leadership at RG, you know, kind of come, come behind this idea of let's do something better. And we actually met with the company and, and the founder, and it was really cool just to to see how they're doing things in Denmark and in Europe and, and in these places. But I think that that RG as a whole does have a great mindset. And with CH3 and on the tile side and what you're doing, it's only going to make it um, better in the future. You know, with talks of CH3, since you've been there, you, you touched on this a little bit. How has it grown since, what was it, 2014 is when it kind yeah, of yeah, came so yeah, so 2015 is when uh, we put our first two machines in in a nice in a small building. Um, uh, just a, we were probably in five to six thousand square feet of space where we started molding product. Um, over that time, we had moved into about a ninety some odd thousand square foot building. Got up to nine machines when we were doing custom molding. Um, and then just recently last year, we moved into a new 200,000 square foot facility, uh, sold off a few of the smaller machines, decided to outsource them to a local person, uh, dropped to six machines for efficiency. It really was all about labor and efficiency and uh, waste. Um, and we have a great partner in uh, manufacturing polymer products here in Dalton that uh, helps us out a lot and have the same green initiatives we do. No waste, <laughs> take care of the environment. Um What's beautiful about that is, you know, we've grown from, you know, 
a million dollars in sales to over $10 million in sales uh, pretty quickly. Um, but it's not by accident, right? It's by executing and making sure that we put out good product. We don't get stuff back. Um, the consumers are happy. We're happy because costs are down from not having waste. And then with our partners that we use outside of CH3, we've made them adopt our mindset. So we don't want to do business with people who don't have the same kind of outlook that we do. If you're not the same environmentally friendly minded person, uh, no waste, um, take care of your people kind of person, we're just not going to do business with you. Um, so lucky for us, we have two really good uh, people that mold for us um, that are just great, great partners. And uh, it, it's fun to see them grow along with us, which is exciting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. MPP is a great, great spot. Great, um, great leadership there as well. Yeah. 10x. I mean, if you're going from 1 million to 10 million, that's, that's awesome. So I guess in the future, I mean, where do you kind of see CH3 go? I mean, CH3 itself is kind of going to ride what these other tile companies mm-hmm. do mm-hmm. because as they increase output. So, I mean, CH3 has yep. got to handle that. So I guess where do you see CH3 growing to? I mean, I guess that's more of a question for VersaCore, SwitchTrack, right. SwitchBase, but there's a lot more space for more machinery. Yes. So where do you I, see it grow? I think that uh, it'll all be organic internal growth. I think we'll work closely with our with our two partners there, sister companies, and try to help develop or give ideas to help grow their product line, which in turn grows our product line of machinery. Um, and I think as like this bioplastics that I'm working on behind the scenes, um, doing a lot of testing stuff, then bringing that to them and say, here, this is what I've been working on. What do you think about this and your products? Um, it's kind of how it's working now. And I think that could be a big part of the growth is trying to, why not be the forefront of that when our competition's not doing it, right? So I think if we can grow that side of it and really do more recycled, more bioplastics, more things that set us a little bit of apart, but gives us that push in the green side, I think that'd be more attractive to a lot of customers. So there's a, there's a, a change in the consumers now. I think you can see it changing from electric vehicles, to the type of packaging that goes into things, to what people are buying. They're thinking more about sustainability now than ever before. Oh, yeah. The consumer is making the choice, I mean, what they're buying based on the company as a whole and, and, and their goals and, and with sustainability a lot of times. So the companies that are going to make that their mission are just going to be more successful in the future. I mean, mm-hmm. you see companies right now doing it. And as you know, my generation gets older, it's just going to continue. From your career in the plastics industry, mm-hmm. what do you see the importance of sustainability for the plastics industry? Um, because plastic, as you say, I mean, anything that you handle is probably plastic. Mm-hmm. So why is it so important for um, everyone in the plastic industry to have that sustainable mindset as as they work and as they grow? Yeah, I think it's it's very important just because, you know, our careers and our jobs depend on it for one. Um right. But I think the manufacturers, all the way from the producers of the polymers, need to take a harder look at what they're doing. We as manufacturers should be thinking about, okay, am I telling the customer when I sell this product um, whether or not it is uh, a a one-time use packaging, if it's a basketball court, whatever it is, where's the educational materials that you're putting in with what you're selling to explain to them this product's recyclable? Take it to your local recycler. Here's the type of materials it's made out of to make it easier and understanding. Some of that is a problem when you're going to recycle 
um, products that have multiple materials in them. Can we get to a single source material for products so the recyclers aren't having the trouble? Where you have right now a water bottle is made of PET, but the cap's made out of polypro. Hmm. Well, those aren't a mat. You know, you can't just throw it in there. You got to separate it along right. with the label being different. So if we can get to like maybe the more engineering we do as new developments come along, that's all one type of plastic. So then it is an easy recyclable product. Um, but I think telling people when you're rebuilding a car or something and you got to take the door panel off, so what do I do with this? I, don't, I just throw in the garbage. Well, no, that's a this type of material. Um, you know, a lot of things do have a little code on it. We, we go through the triangle code now. Um, so to identify one, two, three, four, five, you know, whether it's polypropylene, polyethylene, stuff like that, but nobody knows that except for producers, people who make it, you know, there's no real education on it, you know, probably should start in schools a little more. I think we need more education in schools on recycling about what plastics are. Um, every piece, I mean, just look at the medical field. It's revolutionized medicine with different things for surgeries different things for implants. So, but I just don't think people understand that, you know, you have a big group that's hates plastics and a big group that's for plastics. Right. I think we have to come together and educate each other. Where's the shortcomings in the plastic industry? Well, waste, right? We got to do a better job of waste. We have to do a better job when we're developing products to try and use a single material. On the other side, why do they think plastics are so harmful? Well, usually it's because of all the bad waste. And it's people just littering and, you know, look in the oceans, all the stuff dumped in there. We have islands of plastic waste. Um, so I think, you know, trying to educate both sides to a happy medium, uh, maybe. But I think it needs a, a little more education in school would be helpful because plastics is everywhere. You can't get away from it. You know, it's the future. I know there's plenty of articles and stuff out there about ending plastics. You're going to use up some other source. And the cost is in my opinion, the reason why plastics will never go away is, is money, right? The cost of plastics versus others. And us as a, unfortunately greedy Americans don't like to pay too much. So I think that they're not going anywhere, but I think single type plastics is a good, you know, for a lot of like single source or single use products should try to be one type of plastic. Right. I think that would help so much with recycling. I mean, yeah, even with water bottles, there's kind of been a shift lately. When you look at water mm -hmm. bottles, it says recycle with cap on. But before, yep. I mean, you're, you're asking people, hey, take the label off, take yep. the cap off. Yep. A little ring on there. Every little thing. Nobody's going to do it. Yeah. It's like, why am I having to do all this all this stuff? I'm trying to, to do better for the environment, but you're making the process so hard for me. Mm -hmm. And you know, as we know, convenience is key. You know, we yep. want to do things. Americans, as you say, are, we're a little entitled. We're a little, we're a little yep. more greedy. So why are we going to do something extra um, if it's going to be so hard? And right. we can something as simple as, hey, let's put some water bottles in a in a bin and let's go recycle them once a week or once every two weeks when we right. go yeah. take our trash. But if you're making it so difficult for people or even making it difficult for the people that are taking in the material yes uh, yes where they can't even recycle it then then what's the point so it goes back to exactly what you're saying if we can create a single use component for that um, that would be i mean pet plastic i mean you have yep. poly, uh, propylene if everything can be singular then it's going to be so much easier and also i mean i think if you look at schooling and you look at our our school system and how 
some classes are core. I mean, you have your maths, you have your sciences, yep. you have your, your histories. Sustainability, environmental science needs to be a core because as, as kids grow up, I mean, kids will know algebra, kids will know what happened in World War II, but why not teach them something that they can impact the future with? Um, and, right. and sustainability is that. So if you have kids, and, and from what I've seen, if, is if your kids, I mean, the same thing is with church. If your mm-hmm. kids are involved in the youth group, it's going to push the kids, I mean, push the parents to church and push the whole family to church. So if the kids themselves are involved in sustainability and they want to mm-hmm. recycle and they want to make the greener choice, then the parents, the families, whoever, right. their friends will do the same thing. I remember growing up watching Nickelodeon and Nickelodeon would have different kind of sustainability commercials and, and events. And one thing that they did was they wanted all the, the, the viewers to, um, when you're brushing your teeth or fixing your hair or whatever you're doing with the, with the water faucet to just turn it off. Mm-hmm. And ever since I heard that, I've always done that. So now you're not wasting water that before right. you, you think of. And when I started doing that, so did my family and, just like that. I mean, what I did at eight years old, I'm now 23 and I'm still doing the same thing. And my family yeah. doing the same thing. So you're right on single use education. Those yeah. are the big keys. Yeah. Especially when, you know, when the kids are younger and you're saying, oh, well that goes in a recycle bin, but why does it go in a recycle bin? Right. This is the importance of it going in the recycle bin, right. right? There's so many times with a lot of things we do, not even recycling related that you just do it, but you don't know why you do it. So that education side of same with reading comprehension, right? You can read it, but if you don't comprehend it, it doesn't do you any good. So understanding recycling from the source and why you're doing it gives a bigger impact and show examples of what happens when you don't recycle and what happens when you do recycle and the difference that you're actually making. People want to make a difference. Whoever you are, you want to make a difference. Yes. So I guess bouncing back to to CH3 and kind of what you do, can you talk a little bit about your energy consumption and how that's kind of shifted since the beginning, since you first got in? I know the machinery that y'all um, that y'all use is is, is high line. It's really mm-hmm. good stuff. It's um, again, I wish yep. I wish listeners and viewers could see this machinery. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're taking raw material resin and you're filtering it through and, and grinding it up and from that coloring it and, and putting it in a machine, ro- a robotic mm-hmm. arm's coming down, pulling it out. I mean, it's it's pretty incredible just to yep. watch the whole process. But your energy consumption, because you are mm-hmm. a um, hydraulic um, injection yep. molding um, yep. company. So can you talk a little bit about your energy consumption and, yeah. again, how that's changed um, over since yeah. 2015? Yeah, so it's very interesting because when we first started um, – we didn't have a lot of power in the building that we were in when we started. So we actually started with two all electric machines um, yeah. that didn't take very much power. Um, and we actually had, uh, when we moved to the new building, um, over half of our fleet was all electric machines. Um, so very low usage. Um, we did buy a couple used hydraulic machines, um, but had variable pumps. So they weren't nothing that we've really ever had. Um, has been a terrible uh, energy hog. Um, we have one machine currently um, that is an older machine that is probably the one that uses the most energy. Um, it doesn't run as often as the others. All the others that we bought are all hybrids. So they basically run off a servo drive. So when the machine's sitting there, nothing's running. 
Um, so there's no power consumption until the mold, until the machine actually makes a movement. It's the only time it's pulling power. So our power consumption has always stayed very, very low. Another thing that people don't think about are some of the waste. You know, we have to heat up our plastic. So understanding how to keep the guards on there in the shrouds or put barrel blankets on there to control the consumption of the energy to heat everything up, um, running at the lower temperatures, not overworking the equipment so it's not heating up and causing more energy draws. Um, as you know, in our facility, we have automatic lighting that shuts off when nobody's in the area, um, which has really helped with power consumption compared to the old halogen lights that you would have in a factory usually. So all these things combined and then also buying uh, you know, energy efficient robots and things that don't take much power and not exceeding uh, the limitations of your equipment, keeping it running at a normal pace where you're not drawing extra energy um, also makes a, a big difference. So we've really focused on that. When we're going to buy a piece of equipment, the kilowatts it takes, the maintenance it takes, those are all looked at before we make a purchase. Nice. Nice. Oh yeah. The, the automatic lights is awesome. I'm, this facility is 200,000 square feet and I mean, you'll go in sometimes and you just have 25% of the facility lit up and the rest of it's dark yes. and you're like, what's going on here? But uh, then you start walking and they'll turn on, which is really cool. So one of the really cool things that um, I remember CH3 doing is this process of regrind. And mm -hmm. so regrind for people that don't know, and, and I didn't know this before I, I experienced this is if you have faulty parts on the production line, what CH3 will do is take these parts and regrind them back into mm -hmm. a new resin, correct? And then you can reuse that. So that mm -hmm. is that's so cool because faulty parts a lot of times are just, I mean, a lot of places will just say, hey, throw them out, throw them out. We don't need this. Right. But you're finding a use and and mm -hmm. reutilizing that quote unquote waste and and putting it into another material, which is really cool. So can you talk a little bit on that process of mm -hmm. how you identify faulty parts and just the whole regrind process? Yeah, sure. So we've been pretty good at um, having a limited amount of scrap. Um, so I think our last count last year, we ended under 1% scrap. Um, and that's based off your, we're processing around 6 million pounds of polypropylene a year. So it's very little waste. However, we do a lot of colors. So most of our bad parts come from color changes where you can't have the two blended colors because it doesn't make the right part. Um, so what we'll do is we'll take those and we have a in-house granulator, which is just a big machine with rotating blades. Um, and we'll throw the parts in there, grind them and chip them up into little pieces. And then we will take that and there is some other products that we produce that we can use that material in because it's, it's just as good as, as virgin resin. Um, and then we also sell, a, if we have a lot of access, we will sell that off to a local recycler who will then have that either used in whatever they're doing or they'll sell it off to an end producer um, to make other products. And it was, it got really important when uh, the shortages all happened and the polypropylene shortages and uh, everything was happening, that regrind became a little more valuable <laughs> for us. So we were able to sell that off um, to local recyclers, which in turn helped somebody else uh, make a part. So even though we made a bad part, it lives on in another good part. Um, so there's never any that goes anywhere near a landfill ever. Right. Um, 
so I mean, you said you're you're processing six million pounds of, of polypro per year. Mm -hmm. um, how many pounds? I don't know if you have this stat or not. How many pounds of um, regrind you estimate CH three um, grinds up per year? Um, it's it's very small. I mean, it's only probably. I mean, it's less than a hundred thousand pounds. Yeah, it's it's not a lot. Yeah, it, it's it takes us a long time to accumulate any um just because of the the amount of waste is so small you know i experienced when i was with rg the the whole resin crisis of 2020 yeah you couldn't get resin in i mean it was supply chain was just in shambles yeah with virgin resin versus this kind of regrind resin is there a um, impact in quality when you're going from virgin to the regrind and the other question i was going to mm -hmm. ask is did regrind become a better option during 2022 um, when you couldn't really get your hands on this, this virgin resin? Yeah. So really it depends on the type of material it is like polyolefins, such as polypropylene, polyethylene, things like that lend themselves to be uh, reground or reused um, quite a few different times before the properties get impacted. Other engineering grades, such as some nylons and things like that, you can't use as much. Um, usually you can probably grind them up, through a heating process of about two times, three times max, and it it pretty much the properties are so degraded you can't use it anymore. Mm -hmm. And at that point, you have to figure out a way somebody uses it for a filler or something like that, um, or it, it just becomes unusable waste. Um, ours is always single pass. So that means it's only been molded one time before it's been ground up. So it's just as strong, just as good as the virgin material that we purchase. Um, there's really no nothing wrong with it. Um, it's, it's perfect to use. Lucky for us, the way that we, um, run, we never had a shortage problem. Um, we forecasted, uh, had contracts and did different things to kind of saw it coming. Um, so we were ahead of the game and actually sold some of our material off to other people in the industry, um, including our regrind. Mm. So that helped them. Um, Usually, the reason why we haven't used a lot of regrind in our products, you know, back in the product itself, other than two products that we run, is color consistency can be an issue. And if you don't have enough of the regrind in our particular product, color shifts can happen, like on the basketball courts and such. So we usually save it for just a couple products where the color's not as important. It's maybe a non-scene product or something like that. Um, right. which a lot of molders do if it's a product that's something that the color doesn't matter or something that is hidden. Um, that's where a lot of your reused plastics go. Um, it's a lot easier to hide it, but there's nothing wrong with using regrind. It's, it's just as strong, just as good. Right. You know, it's really cool um, how CH3 and VersaCord and, and, and some of these other companies utilize the waste and, and things that could just mm -hmm. be thrown in the, on the waste stream. Another cool thing that I remember VersaCourt doing is, you know, if you have faulty tile, you can put it underneath turf and it mm -hmm. can be a drain tile, which is another yep. cool thing because you found another use for a product that before yes. was quote unquote crappy, you know, it, yep. it didn't come up to standard, but you found another way to use it. And I think with sustainability and with the mindset um, for sustainability, that's really what you're going for is finding use for what could have been waste and creating something, a product or anything out of it. And that's really cool. Yeah. And um, that's one of the products that we use um, our regrind in. 
So right. it's really a premium product. <laughs> uh, but just because it's all different colors, you know, it's hidden under the turf. So yeah, finding a, a use for it um, that works out for everybody, right? Works out for us in sales, works out if there's something there, everybody benefits from it. it makes no sense to me for, um, cause I've seen companies do this. They'll just throw waste away and it's like, mm-hmm. For, for one, you're losing profit, you're losing um, your product that you put into and just throwing it away. And you could be creating something out of this. And that's exactly right. what Versal has done and, and what CH3 has done in a whole new product line from waste. And it's really, yep. it's really cool to, to kind of think about because a lot of people just would say, hey, we're not going to sell this. It's mm-hmm. not up to standard, blah, blah, blah. We can't use this. But why not create a new product out of it? And it's been super successful. I mean, I remember- oh, yeah. I interned with Versacord and there's so many orders for drain tile and there's a, there's a huge market for it. And little, little do you know that, you know, you're solving this huge problem with mm-hmm. the product and it's, and it's successful. Yeah. Um, we've had actually, you know, when we color change and stuff, we do get these big, we call them purge lumps. So that's what comes out of the machine as we're changing colors and stuff. Um, so we'll save those as well. And we give those to a recycler who um, they use them in uh, filler and concrete. Oh, so, um, it's a nice use. Yeah. Going right into that, the, the purging conversation, I, I touched on this in the beginning, CH3, mm-hmm. the, the processes are so, are so um, well-tuned that efficiency is so high and that you're, you're, you're reducing waste as much as possible. I mean, you're doing it with, with not much manpower and you're producing 6 million pounds of polypropylene, mm-hmm. which is crazy. So I guess the thing I'll get into is purging compounds for color changes. Mm-hmm. Again, for people that don't know, VersaCourt, for example, that they produce basketball court, any kind of recreational surfacing with these tiles that snap together like puzzle pieces and create a surface. And they, you can pick any kind of color, um, which mm-hmm. for CH3 is they have to change these colors um, every time. You know, they're kind yep. of doing a run. So could you explain the process? Because I'm interested to hear about yeah. this too, of color changes for tile in the kind of purging compounds that mm-hmm. come out. And um, what you're using in all of this stuff mm-hmm. and kind of just how the whole process comes. Yeah. Comes. Yeah. So it's interesting because our purging program has actually evolved since we started in CH3. Um, I actually, at one point in my career, uh, did work for a purge uh, company um, called Ossaclean, who's owned by Asai Kase, which is a large uh, producer of polymers. Um, and so... When you're color changing, you're going to take the raw materials that are coming through, um, kind of run them empty, finishing off whatever product. Uh, and then you'll pick a particular grade of purge, which is a completely different product to run through the machine, uh, in some cases through the mold. And what it does is it basically scrubs out the old material and then you follow it with the new material. Um, it can still be recycled because it's an olefin base. Um so you can, or styranic base, so you can still grind it up and sell it off as regrind or reuse it. Um, the reason why you wouldn't want to reuse it back into your good products because you're cleaning it out and taking the contaminants out, so you don't want to put contaminants back in. But for some products, it's not going to structurally hurt anything. Um, but then we were using a few different types, and then we worked with Ostaclean on uh, testing, and they were developing a specific grade that could mix with any polymer. So now all we use is a small concentrated pellet that sits up in our blenders. And now all the guys have to do, uh, which is less time, which is less waste, is flip a button, change the percentage. It drops in this cleaner, same process, goes through, cleans the barrel, 
same little purge patty comes out, gets recycled, and then goes through and cleans the machine. Um, but that has uh, taken away probably a half an hour of wasted time where we had to go get stuff, come back to the machine. We had to carry things. Now the packaging, you know, we don't have these big Gaylord. We don't have these big bags anymore. We got little boxes. Um, so that's been reduced. Uh, the amount that we have to hold reduced. Uh, and the overall time frame for using it reduced greatly. Um, so those are all wastes that aren't usually captured because the time the machine has set their idle, it's wasting energy. I'm not producing anything. It's wasting energy. So we've shortened that time way down. Um, so I think people need to think more when they're thinking about, all right, we're going to make a green company. Well, green is a lot more than one simple product. Mm -hmm. It's what goes into the product. It's everything around the product. It's your whole company from top to bottom, including office space. Right. So I, I guess I would say, I mean, through this, through these purging compounds, and I think mm -hmm. what's it called? Plus grade um, purging compounds. Is yep. that kind of what it's called? Yep. That's, that's the new, that's the new concentrate. Yep. Plus grade. You, you've cut your waste percentages below, um, well below 1%, with 6 uh, million pounds of material per, per year. So how did, how do you do that? I mean, and not only how did you do that, but over time, I mean, are you seeing your waste, your percentage of waste per year kind of decreasing? Or have you always had, you know, that under 1% that you're doing? No, we, so we have, uh, in the past, we were probably in that 2% range. And um, as we developed uh, different procedures that we started to use of, um, you know, every time, which is interesting, every time we would buy a company or assume a company or something like that, we would inherit their molds. and what happened with this last one we did is we'll bring those molds in and we immediately see when we do a color change, how hard it is. So on one particular item that we did, when we brought those ones, it was taking us an hour to change a color because they had no purge program. And so they would just let it run until it cleaned out, which is terrible. Yes. <laughs> you don't want to do that. Uh, that's about the biggest waste you can have. Right? So we started using our purge compound and you can, you could literally see the time go down the more and more color changes we did with our purge as it cleaned more and more and more. And then just gets to basically a sustainable spot where it doesn't get any faster, any better. Um, but really building the culture that you have to do it every time, no matter what. It keeps the machines conditioned. It keeps the molds conditioned. And it, it does make the waste go away. And you can tell if people don't do it because you'll see your waste creep back up. And part of the problem I've seen in all the other companies uh, that I was involved with is the culture of using it properly, for one, uh, and making sure that it is mandated. There's no shortcuts. No matter what you use, it just doesn't happen. And a lot of people, you know, a good example is say polypropylene costs, say, a dollar. Well, purge might cost you $3 per pound versus a dollar per pound. So people say, oh, well, I'll just use this and I'll purge it. So they don't really do the calculations of the time, the waste, the fact that you're introducing more problems than actually cleaning out the problems. So uh, sustainability, lack of education is just as much as a purge lack of education. People don't understand how it works. Um, I, I myself, before I actually worked for a purge company, didn't understand it as well as I thought I did. And then I got a big education. So now I try to... Uh, teach people that too, because it is a big deal. And that's the only way you can stop the waste. Or my favorite thing I did at RG was doing the court tracker and, and 
figuring out ways to to minimize paper usage and mm-hmm. put things electronically on, on iPads and different tablets. And one thing that I was really excited for when we did the ROI for the whole project was we were able to save 10,000 sheets of paper per year, which might sound like, like a lot, but it comes with <laughs> not much money at all. And I was so excited. I was telling everyone, you know, we're going to save 10,000 sheets of paper per year. And people were just laughing at me. But to me, it was like, wow, this is awesome. I mean, we, these were all paper. This was all paper. Now we're, we're just putting it on tablets right. and it's less to keep up with. And so that was with VersaCore. But I know with CH3, you're doing similar type things mm-hmm. where you're reducing the, the paper load on the yes. floor, the manu- yep. manufacturing floor. And over time, I mean, that adds up, adds up, adds mm-hmm. up. That's another cool thing that y'all are doing is reducing paper usage um, in the office, on the floor, making everything electronic, which yep. you never know is electronic is be- better for business anyways yep. um, to keep up with stuff. So yep, we do everything through iPads and, and such. So everybody can put in their scrap numbers or production numbers and everything like that. So then it's, uh, we have a monitor on the floor so you can see real time how things are running um, and how everything is working, um, which makes a big difference. Like, and to your point, 10,000 sheets of paper or whatever may not sound like a much, but it is when you throw it in a landfill. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The analytics you get from that is so much greater. Oh, way better. Way better. I mean, utilizing computers and, and any kind of technology you can, now the computer can crunch all the data where before mm-hmm. you might have one person, multiple people trying to do that yep. manually. And it's just and it's so safe now with the cloud storage and such. I mean, it, it's pretty safe. It's not like it used to be where, you know, oh, the computer crashed. We lost everything. You know, it's a, it's right. a much safer system now to use. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, one thing that I love to see, um, and again, with with VersaCourt and kind of kind of us doing this project is you might have files and files and files of paperwork that people are going back to look at. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why? Like, why are right. you wasting all this time doing this when we can create a software, create some kind of program um, with technology that you can literally type two letters on a keyboard and you can yeah. find all that easily. So it's not just, not just time you're saving. It's, it's greener. You, you're mm-hmm. not yep. it's paper. You're not printing on paper. So it, it just makes sense. And yeah. And that's what we did with a um, company called progressive components. Um, we have monitoring stuff on our molds that for, even for them, it started off as one little thing. And I said, well, can you do this? Can you do this? And all of a sudden we started working together And now we've blown their stuff up and expanded it so much to other uses that now that's translating to other companies. I actually did a talk on it in Chicago um, uh, uh, last year. And it's amazing how that just started. And they're like, well, we never thought of doing that. And so now where we used to write down a lot of this stuff, now it's click, click. And now we can pull a report just like you said. We don't have to pull papers. We can just click, click. Now we have everything at our fingertips. I can get it on my phone. Get it on a computer. I can access it anywhere. I can look at everything. Um, so the evolution of them saying, "Yeah, let's work together. Let's do this." So I think that's that's where that where it's going. Kind of taking that conversation to the next one, and in, in the plastics industry as a whole, how are you kind of seeing? I mean, obviously you have you have a lot of experience in the industry. How are you seeing it change and shift to more sustainability um, throughout your time in the industry? Yeah, from when I first started to now, is uh, it's a pretty big difference. Just because um, when I first started, like I said, there, there's a lot of limited materials, a lot of limited things we could do, a lot of uh, 
things that we just didn't do because we weren't educated on it to where now I think there's a lot more things um, with like your SPI and SPEs and MAP and different organizations that you can be a part of are really pushing the educational side of plastics uh, where before I don't think it was pushed as hard. It was more tribal knowledge. You went into a place is what you kind of learn. And with, you know, I started in the age of when there really wasn't computers, you know, Google and everything. So everything was in books or papers or you had to go search a different way to get this information where now you can just, everything is at your fingertips. These organizations, especially MAP, which is the Manufacturing Association of Plastic Processors, they're huge on networking between companies to help with sustainability and ideas to be shared between competitors. Um, we can't do it alone. And if we look at every person as, well, there's a competition, I'm not telling them how to be better. That's a bad way to look at things. Mm -hmm. You can have healthy competition and still share good ideas. There's nothing wrong with telling your fellow competitor, hey, you know, we came about this and we're saving X number of pounds of material a year without having to throw it away, um, which is what MAP does. They bring all people together uh, in some conferences. So we're all molders, you know, we're all mm -hmm. working together, but we all share ideas. We're not out there trying to steal customers from each other. We're just out there to make things better. Yeah. And I, mean, I think that's where the change has happened. Yeah. I mean, we're all very competitive, right? Humans, we want to be the best. We want yeah. to be the top. But when it comes to a conversation of, look, we might be competitors, but you know, we're saving this much material that was wasted before. Mm -hmm. Why don't you do this too? Because it's better for the environment, yep. not just for us. Because if you're just right. looking at yourself, it's a selfish point of view. But if you're looking at not just internal, but external in everything as a whole, it, it kind of opens up your mind to two other things. So um, that organization sounds like a really cool thing. I'll have to look into it. It yep. was Matt, you said. Um, yep. So MAPP. Yep. They're a great organization. And and what I love about that organization, since we've been a part of it um, for a long time, since almost the inception of CH3, is just I've been able to have impact with people through their forums, and I've gotten impact from people. Um, we shared a lot of ideas, um, very friendly people, and it's just about helping the person in your industry. Let's make this the best industry ever, and we're going to support each other however we can. We talked on it a little bit earlier, areas of improvement for the plastics industry. Mm -hmm. If you have a single use product that you can use, is there any is, is there any other ways you see the plastic industry of improvement um, for sustainability? I think some of it also goes back to knowing your customer and working closer with your customer. Because a lot of times things get wasted based off of, well, I think that's what they want but I don't really know. So then you make a product and all that product's bad. Now you got to make new product because you're not really, you know, or telling the customer the limitations or what about offering that customer a more sustainable solution instead of just looking at the dollar. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, which I think automotive, you know, they definitely are always looking at different ways of doing things. Um, same with us, you know, I worked uh, for a company a long time ago and, uh, one of the biggest and best environmentally friendly companies I ever worked with was, uh, called Tom's of Maine, um, which is owned by Colgate, which is the all natural deodorant toothpaste. Mm. They're in Maine. They're a huge environmentally friendly company. And I worked really hard with them trying to find them a recycled 
material for their product because they wanted to have some, you know, post-consumer waste in there. And going back to what I said before, the biggest problem we had was finding one that we could get their color. So that was our biggest challenge, um, which we ended up finding something that everybody was compromised on. Um, but I think if there's ways that maybe talk to the customer when you're talking to them or if they really want to recycle product, give them options. And then it goes to let's educate the consumer. Hey, guys, you want a recycled product? Well, here are some things that you have to kind of give into if you want this recycled product. Because um, I think everybody thinks that you can have the same product whether it's recycled or not. And that's just not the case. There's right. different different things that go into it. And uh, the more education we can do on that side, I think will be good. But I think the more that the molders can really push back to the customers and say, hey, we're getting kind of a bad rap here. We need to be more sustainable and this is what we need to do. And the customers have to start partnering up with their suppliers and say, you know what, what can we do to be better? Um, my biggest thing that I pet peeve, I guess I would say, as far as sustainability is I hate wasted packaging because so many things are in wasted packaging. It drives me crazy. I actually got a something at home last night and I was so happy for the packaging. It was, it sounds silly. It was like two bath mats, right? Shipped via UPS. I was expecting, you know, they're going to come in this big old box or whatever, but they were simply in a plastic, clear plastic, like almost as tight as the package itself. So there was no waste. I was like, oh, that is a good package right there. Right. There was no need for a giant box for a piece, you know, <laughs> something yeah. like that. So that that's one thing. And even for us, you know, like in uh, packaging of raw materials and such, um, making sure that we're kind of checking our vendors as well. If we get stuff in and it's wasted packaging, sending them an email, hey, next time can you package this different so we're not wasting things and just i think if you put a little check there for some people they'll think twice right yeah that industry has grown so much too just mm -hmm. sustainable materials um in packaging there's so many companies you, you can look at that are using recycled paper using mm -hmm. recycled boxes using recycled um you name it in in their packaging and that's really grown and again it goes back to people having the conscious mindset of um hey let's not waste stuff if we're going to use things why not use recycled materials right which is which is really important so one long conversation that we had i remember at rg one day in the tile building was on plastics um recycling mm -hmm. and um we had talked about you know the the quote unquote three percent question and how and if you look at plastics as a whole the stat is you know three percent of all plastic is recycled so um mm -hmm. I guess I kind of, I mean, I know your thoughts on this. I, I want the listeners and viewers to, to hear your thoughts yep. as well on, on what you think about that. And is that that 3% being recycled, is that back to the um, the question of, hey, we don't have a single use um, component and we have so many different um, components in plastic that it's just making it so hard and, and the sorting of plastics, it's just yep. it's too difficult. Yeah. Um, and, and kind of what is what is your thoughts on um, that three percent question? How we can improve that that percentage over time? I think that uh, the biggest thing is just there's there's not the availability of uh, I don't know if you'd call it resources, but services where you know if I drove you know a twenty mile radius, how many recycling places am I going to find? You know, if I'm lucky, one. Right. Um, I don't think it's out there in the public's faces. I don't think there's accessibility 
for people to recycle, especially in rural areas. Um, you know, I grew up in some rural areas and there was just a big dumpster out there and everything went in it. Mm -hmm. There was no even thought of recycling anything. Um, same with manufacturers, you know, manufacturers need to be, um, you know, maybe, maybe it's monetary. Maybe the local landfill says, Hey, you know, Mr. Company X, if you guys would recycle this much, we'll give you this much of a rebate on your total trash cost per year or something, you know, have, you know more bins have stuff to help facilitate the recycling from all the way from industrial down to consumer. Um, I mean, you see it here or there, but I don't think it's widespread enough that we're going to change that 3% number. Uh, especially when it is the nature of the beast to, if it's not easy, I don't want to do it. Um, kind of thing. Um, you know, when I, when I grew up, I grew up in Michigan up North, um, 10 cents for every bottle. You didn't see bottles on the side of the road, right? <laughs> you know, those were getting picked up and they're getting turned back in, um, right. stuff like that. You know, people want something, right? People don't want to feel like they're doing it for nothing, even though it is a good deed and you are helping the environment. It's human nature to want something for doing something. Um, so whether it is, maybe you get a tax break, if you can show you recycled a certain uh, hundreds of pounds per year. Well, give me a tax break. Let me write that off because here's proof that I recycled one ton of recyclable content. Um, and that's where I think we're going to impact that number. Do it for businesses. Give them the tax breaks. You show me that you're not putting this number in the landfill and here's your tax number. That's where I think people would be more likely to do that if we can tie something to it. People want to benefit. I mean, it's yeah. just the way it is. Yeah, I mean, in incentivization, the, the last um, episode I had, um, Anwar Khan, he, he created this business around reverse um, vending machines. It's really cool stuff. And they're pushing um, incentivizing, in incentivizing users to recycle um, and, and rewarding users mm -hmm. to recycle every time they put a bottle in. And I thought it was so cool because, again, in our in our society in the U.S., again, we talked about it, we want something in return for doing something good. Yep. Yeah, it, it's kind of it's kind of bad to say, but that's just the name of the game right now. Yes. Um, so if you can give someone tax breaks would be great. Um, getting the, the government and getting policy involved is a huge, huge thing. And again, back to what you said in rural areas. I mean, you said Michigan. Um, yep. I went to school in eastern Kentucky um, in old coal mining towns and yep. the lack of recycling infrastructure. I mean, you had nothing there. So people, for one, weren't, weren't educated on recycling. Yep. And for two, there was nothing there for them to recycle. There's no um, recycling plant. There's no recycling companies. So if there's nothing there, then what are you going to do? And, and in, in that case, in, in Eastern Kentucky, no one recycled. So yep. my question when I was at school was, you know, how can we recycle when there's nothing? Right. Here? Where, where are we going to put it? So I think I think funding in these areas is huge. There's a lot of, a lot of areas that you can fund outside of the U.S. and, and help. But looking internally in these rural areas and saying, hey, not only can we provide infrastructure, but let's educate the public and educate the people to show what they can do. And then tying back to what you said, let's fund them, but let's also give tax breaks. So mm -hmm. now you're having this whole cycle that goes around and everyone wants something in return, right? And let's create a, um, the same availability for um, us in, in, in Dalton as there is in Pikeville, Kentucky. Right. Um, everyone should should have the same availability. So. I think in the future, um, as I've said, my generation, Gen Z, is, is very environmentally conscious. 
so I think there'll be a big push, a big push for this stuff. So um, one can hope, but yep. but we will see. But yeah, I think what you said, I mean, that's that's right on line with how it's yeah. how it's kind of going. I mean, so, I think most people want to do good, right? Like if I walk up and I see a trash bin and I see a recycling bin and I have a bottle in my hand, it's going in the recycling bin. Right. But if that bin's not there, I'm not looking for a recycle bin. It's going in right. the trash can. Yeah. So, you know, those kind of things are things I think that you're right. We have to have more accessibility. Yep. Accessibility, convenient, um, yes. and then providing value to the person yep. or, or to the yep. organization. If, if you have the check on all three of those things, I mean, you're, you're going to see change. And that 3% yep. number is going to is going to go way up. Yes. But again, I mean, it's it, it all goes back to those things. So, I mean, we're talking about the future. So um, getting back into the future uh, for injection molding. There's a lot of cool things that I've kind of uncovered just through research and, and through talking with people with how different companies are recycling um, turf fibers and different materials. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said earlier, we had um, at RG, we had met with um, Rematch, the company out of Denmark, who has created this really cool system of, of recycling entire turf fields um, and football, soccer, I mean, you name it, fields. And one thing that a lot of these turf recycling companies do is they're recycling these fibers down. And they're actually creating different resins from that, which can go into injection molding and create different products, which is super cool. I mean, you think mm-hmm. about you think about turf football field and then creating a, a plastic part out of it. It kind of kind of blows your mind to, to think yeah. about from that the future for injection molding. What what do you think is in store in the future with all of these things happening? I mean, you have a lot of people trying to recycle different materials that mm-hmm. before you couldn't recycle. I mean. In right. Dalton, Georgia, for a long time, it was companies trying to figure out how to recycle carpet. Well, now we've recycled carpet. So now how can we recycle turf? Right. Um, and it will be achieved. I mean, I, I have no doubt about it. There's too many smart people on this earth not, not to solve it. Yep. So again, injection molding in the future, what do you see kind of changing or um, being added in the future? I think right now um, there's a few companies. Engel uh, Machinery is a big one. Um that have actually created machines um, that can use uh, recycled materials. So you could be any color, any whatever you want it to be. And it can actually shoot that in and then cover it with a virgin material. So you're using very little virgin material. Um, now the product has to be built to take that. Um, but that's one thing that these companies are doing, trying to figure out, okay, we know we have all this waste. How can we put it back into products? Um, there's, so there's a few companies that are working on it because for us, we have to be able to process it. So a lot of it goes from the machine manufacturers really doing um, on their part, figuring out how can it be reused? Um, how can they get it into their product? Um, and there's a couple other companies doing some similar things where the what we used to call unusable because of the color or makeup of it or whatever can actually be hidden and used and structurally sound and good, but you would pick it up and never know it had it in it, um, which is pretty interesting. And that's something that's going on right now. Um, and there's some others that are um, doing like inline type recycling. So you can like recycle it right into the product as you're going. Right. Um, so it's all like inline processing, um, which is pretty cool. So I think the next five years, we'll see more of that. And I think you're going to see that they're going to want to figure out how to reuse this stuff. Um, and in the end, it really is cheaper for us as manufacturers to be able to reuse this stuff. 
uh, it's, it's cheaper because it's, it's stuff we're producing or maybe it's stuff we buy, you know, to make sure that we can use it and put it in different things. We've actually looked at that here. Um, unfortunately for us, for that particular project, um, our part design didn't allow for that to happen. But that was something we did look at is trying to fill a product with another type of material. Mm. So we would be using consumer waste, but then it would look just like normal and it would have no different effect on the end product. Um, so the, we're still, you know, I think that's something that industry is moving for. I, I think they're going to really try to figure out how to get the machinery to be able to handle using recycled products better. Um, I think that's that's where it's going. Yeah, and I mean, I'm confident with machine makers, with people actually um, working on the machines, with mm-hmm. with sustainability and how everything's growing, there'll be more focus on how can we conserve and um, save as as. Yeah. The- and I like that I see companies more and more companies now are advertising on television, talking more about the recycled things they're doing. Like, you know, this was a box, and now it's turned into a detergent and now it's turned into this you know all these different things i think the more they can get that out there people realize wow this can be done this can be this can work if i'm deciding between two products if one's sustainable and one's not i'm I'm going to pick the sustainable one so rodney we greatly appreciate you coming on the green hour and sharing about plastic and injection molding and and the sustainable um action that ch3 solutions is doing so I guess what I would end with, is there anything that you would like to um, leave the listeners and viewers with on the show and in, in, in what they can do on a daily basis yeah. um, with plastic or, or with anything yeah. and, and how they can make a difference? Yeah. So I would say, you know, from just thinking about my own self at home, uh, I always try to think about what can I reuse? You know, if I get a package in the mail, can I reuse this box for something? Can I use, reuse this bag for something before I throw it away? Um, try to find a recycling center local to you. Um, I know it can be kind of a pain sometimes, but maybe, you know, especially if you got kids at home, make it fun. Set up some different bins and stuff. Maybe make it little competitions or things to see who can recycle the most in a month. Yes. Um, you know, one interesting thing that I thought, and this goes back to, big companies really thinking is, uh, you know, I'm sure everybody's familiar with shake and bake, right? Chicken, pork chops, whatever. Well, they decided they are not going to include bags in the shake and bake boxes anymore as part of their commitment to reducing waste, which I actually thought until I read the article uh, in Plastics News that they forgot to put my bag in the box when I was making some pork chops. And uh, the more I thought about it, I was like, you know, that is a great idea. People always have something, a bowl or something that they can put this in and do the same thing without waste. So I was like, wow, that's pretty big for a company who's been around probably longer than I've been alive, you know, and and for them to think about it was some billions of pounds of plastic saved per year that you would never think of. That, that's small, too. That's small. So just thinking outside the box. Don't waste Ziploc bags. Don't waste things. If you have something, you could just simply wash, um, things like that. You know, we started to, I do use a dishwasher, but when I only have a couple of dishes, I did buy that Dawn Simple Spray so I can just spray the little, I don't waste, you know, there's no waste. I don't have to run the water. I don't do all these things. Just little things like that. Thinking about, you know, um, you know, sometimes it's silly as, uh, you know, you may wear a pair of jeans and, do you necessarily need to wash them jeans every day? Well, maybe not. Maybe you didn't really do anything. And, you know, and, and that's p- all part of green initiative, right? 
that's stuff that can help stop wasting. Um, so that's what I would say. And, and in your in your companies, encourage people. You know, hey, did you know you can recycle that? You know, there's nothing that, without a conversation, nothing can change. So I think you know, even waste of uh, like you said, you know, if, if you notice that, man, we could put this on a, a hard drive and. I wouldn't have to do all this printing every day. Yep. Bring it to your boss. Bring it to your superior. Say, hey, you know, I came up with an idea of a, a, a pretty good initiative I think will save the company some money. Does your break room have a recycling can in it? You know, right. <laughs> things like that. So I would leave with saying, you know, take it personal. Um, do as work as you would do at home. Uh, just because you're at work or if it's somebody else's dime, don't feel the need that you can just waste. Um, cause sometimes that comes across, you know, some people, ah, I didn't pay for it. No big deal. You know, whatever. So always be conscious and always try to spread it. And, uh, if you have a good idea about saving something, uh, voice it, you know, cause a lot of times people just don't think about it. Yep. And people, people think they're too small to make an impact sometimes. But I yep. mean, like you said, something as simple as the shake and bake, the, the plastic bag that's mm-hmm. in there, you're saving billions of pounds per year, something as simple as that. And you know, someone... A singular person had the idea of, of hey, yes. people have these things in their in their houses already. Let's just not include that. And something as simple mm-hmm. as a plastic bag, you start compounding that over time. And, I mean, you see billions yep. of pounds saved. The big thing is people, just a singular person, me or you, Rodney, mm-hmm. can do so much good just by ourselves. And then as we're doing good things, it's going to grow and it's going to spread. Yes. And other people are going to start doing it. And I just, I greatly appreciate you, Rodney, because yep. um, you're in a position of leadership and you are, you are spreading the word of sustainability to, to your team and to the company as a whole. Um, and people are really learning about, you know, how can we do better? How can we recycle? How can we um, make a better impact? Not just for RG, but in our lives and, and as we go home and in our community. So greatly appreciate you. And yeah, man. Uh, thank you so much. Yeah, and I appreciate uh, everything you've done, man. It's, it's great to see you grow in some different avenues. It's pretty awesome.